from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. Credit Union Magazine's 2022 Credit Union Heroes radiate credit union philosophy and demonstrate an extraordinary commitment to members and community service. They lift underserved populations, use their voices to advocate for those in need, elevate communities, and form powerful partnerships. All four heroes distinguish themselves as champions of the movement by promoting cooperative values and exemplifying credit union principles to create real, positive outcomes in the communities they serve. I'm Ron Jose, a senior editor with CUNA News. Our editors recently spoke to these four heroes about their unique approaches to service and what inspires them to do their essential work. We have additional coverage of this year's heroes on our website. Visit news.cuna.org backslash cuhero to read more about our 2022 heroes and cast your vote for the 2022 Credit Union Hero of the Year, sponsored by Scimitar. Voting takes place through March 18. Marshall Bootwell built up a sense of leadership and collaboration through his military service. Those principles helped him transition to the financial industry, where he grew into the role of President-CEO of Peach State Federal Credit Union. He has spent the past 28 years serving communities near Lawrenceville, Georgia, through financial services, scholarships, charitable organizations, and the belief that what's best for the member is ultimately best for the credit union. In this interview with assistant editor Brock Fritz, he shares some powerful lessons he learned along the way. Your nomination has a few of those things about scholarships and education. And I don't know, do you want to pick a couple that you're particularly proud of? Some of the things that are most significant to me was my involvement with Poland and how it translated into involvement here at home. When I was invited by Mike Mercer to go to Poland as part of the initial group of uh, credit unions that set up the Georgia-Poland partnership where credit unions were linked together, people-to-people kind of things. First of all, I have to say, at that point, this is 26 years ago, Poland was not on my top 10 list of places to go and see. I grew up in the 50s. Black and white TV, the Iron Curtain. So... In my mind, Poland was gray. Behind the Iron Curtain, I didn't know anything about Eastern Europe uh, very much. I mean, a little history, but very little. When I went over there, I got over there, and and I just found a technicolor world. Beautiful country and beautiful people. And uh, when I came back from that first trip to Poland, I realized that we had Bosnian refugees who lived in our area, who worked at our school systems engineers being janitors and (laughs) doctors being school nurses and stuff like that. You know how immigrant situations. Well, I realized that our policies were inhibiting our lending because they didn't have any credit history or they had a very thin credit file. Well, duh, they had just gotten off the plane from a refugee center. They were relocated to the United States and to Gwinnett County, which is our headquarters area. 
because the county was booming and they needed employees and they were good employees. So we changed our policy to guidelines, which implied to my lenders and my underwriter, we're supposed to listen to the story and make judgment calls. And if it made sense, we do it. So we had a couple who came in and the loan officer came to me and said, Marshall, we've got one. So I went into her office and sat at her desk. We would limit our lending to $1,000 per person, signature loan. We wouldn't loan them money on car. Our policy wouldn't allow for that because it was more than $1,000. So a couple came in and they were applying for $2,000, one for each at 16%. And what they were doing is they were taking that money and going down the street to a buy here, pay here dealership to buy a car. So I asked them when I sat at the desk, playing the drama king that I am, are you going to use this money to go buy a car? And they said, yes. And I kind of leaned back and said, well, I'm sorry, we can't make you this loan. And you could just see them sink and it was not nice, but I leaned forward and I said, however, if you'll bring us the information on the car, we'll loan you 100% of the cost of that car purchase price at 6 or 7%, whatever our going rate was. Wow, they lit up. And the next week, we had another couple came in, and then another, and then another. Word of mouth in immigrant communities really is your best form of advertising. Next thing I noticed, a month or so later, I see this 10 or 12-year-old kid in the loan officer's office, and he was interpreting for his parents. And I said, you know, that's not right. Parents shouldn't have to divulge all of their financial information to their children in order to get a loan. So I picked up the phone and called the principal of the local high school, who I knew because he had worked for me when I was working at the bank and he was working part-time, putting himself through college. 20 years before. So I called Buck Buchanan at Central High School, which had a number of Bosnian students. And I said, Buck, I need a Bosnian student to work part-time and help as an interpreter. Next week, I had her on board. Incidentally, she was a 10th grader in my daughter's class because my daughter was a teacher, social studies. So it was just amazing kind of connectivity. So she was our first Bosnian employee. And a couple of months later, another Bosnian lady called me up and said, I would like to go to work for you. She had a finance degree from uh, Bosnia, and she was working as an interpreter on a manufacturing floor for a local manufacturer. And she said, I want to go to work for you because of what you're doing for my people. She still works for me, and she's a branch manager and has been for many years. After 10 years, we submitted this project or this activity to CUNA for a uh, Louise Herring Award, which is a credit union philosophy. And we won the national award for our asset category, 10 years of service. And uh, that was really cool. And it made a difference. It helped us grow. We didn't have a delinquency or a charge off from the Bosnian community for a decade. How would you boil down the credit union mission, I guess, in your mind, what, I don't know, what are you working toward? Serving people of modest means, working poor, lower middle class. I love to have the business and serve the administrators in the school system and the higher earners. I'd love to have their deposits and so forth, but I'm not chasing them. 
we are here to serve people who need us and be a trusted advisor. My whole concept, just do the right thing. Now, you got to know what the right thing is. And some people don't know what the right thing is, but most of us do. And just do the right thing. And over time, that'll serve you well. I learned early on at the bank from another leader, my boss, that uh, if a client asks you for advice or asks you about this or that, and it's better than what we can offer, tell them to take it. Because what's best for your customer, what's best for your client, what's best for your member, ultimately is best for you. And if you can build a relationship of trust, that's it. People call you up. I'm the kind of person, I have an ability to take a negative and turn it into a positive. I would have members who called me out of the blue complaining about something. And one of the things that would resonate with me, they said, well, I was going to close my account. But then I thought about, and I'm one of the owners of that credit union. And I said, thanks for calling me. Thanks for giving me an opportunity, giving us the opportunity to fix it and understand. Tell me what happened, and I'll use it as a training tool for that employee that made the mistake because they didn't intend to do the wrong thing. They just didn't know any better. Robin Cousin knows her voice is a powerful tool. A board vice chair at Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union in St. Paul, Minnesota. In this interview with managing editor Jennifer Plager, Robin describes how she uses her voice to make a difference and advocate for those who need it most. Robin, why did you decide to join the board at Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union? I had always had a, uh, no pun intended, but an affinity for the credit union because that was my first checking account when I was a college student. My mother was a employee of the University of Minnesota, and she was uh, a member of the credit union. So that was my entree into what was then the state capital credit union. So I'd always had this understanding of the importance of credit unions just because of her life story in some ways and how much that affected me when I got that first account. So I I'd always had this appreciation and understanding of a credit union. And when I was asked if I'd be interested, through my experience with public education and just um, the, what I call it, constant need to be vigilant, I guess, in terms of trying to advocate for the disenfranchised, I really understood how important having access to financial well-being was. And I really believed in the the ability of credit unions to accomplish that. So when I was asked to join, I said, well, wait a minute, I don't have a finance background. Am I the appropriate person? But when it was articulated, you represent the members, and that's even more important than the the financial knowledge because that can be gained very easily, whereas understanding and appreciating the fact that it's a member-owned is the key here. So I jumped at the chance to be part of that. Walk me through the summer of 2020 when the George Floyd murder happened. Well, so actually, I I would go before George Floyd. I think one of the things when I came on the board in 2016 was really wanting to be a voice for the disenfranchised. And that doesn't only mean a racial disparity. You know, it's really, why are so many people 
not able to access financial well-being. And it's disproportionate, depending on where you live, maybe for certain income groups and, and racial groups. But it's it's something that I feel we have a responsibility to really look at. So we had already been doing work through our strategic planning. And I think our board, it was really very uniform and saying we want our leadership and our affinity organization to really be a leader and to really take this on. So we had already been doing work related to just looking at the special designation for low income and and really examining how we operated as a credit union. What more could we do? So in some ways, that murder and the conversation that it triggered really opened up in a much more amplified way, not only the challenges, but the opportunities that were before us. Minnesota is not unique in that it's a very conflicted state. We have the same level of polarization and um, strong feelings, and it can be challenging when you're a statewide organization that's member-owned to make sure we're addressing and recognizing all of those members. So it was a delicate dance in some ways as to not should we respond, but how do we do it in a way that is recognizing that people have different levels of experience, just levels of understanding about what was happening. And we needed to make sure we were very clear first and unanimous in how we were going to respond and in presenting that in a way that I think represented our mission and our values and our vision, which is to really be inclusive and also a resource, a financial resource for as many people as possible. And in terms of how I particularly became, um, our CEO reached out to me, probably because of some of the you know conversations we'd had as a board and everything, and just asked, because I live or oh, maybe a couple of miles from where the murder happened. And, you know, he was known. I mean, this was not a uh, stranger incident. This was very deep and personal. And so I was really struggling myself with the trauma of it, but also really wanting to uh, help Dave as he was navigating. How do we position ourselves in a way to recognize everything and also utilize our influence to really uh, be a leader in that conversation. How did the credit union respond? We took some very specific actions. One was to actually come out with a board statement around diversity, equity, inclusion. We had, I think, two very deep board discussions about what that meant and really not responding to a moment, but really, and again, because we were building on discussions and work we've been doing as part of our strategic planning, really talking about how does this become more than a statement? A lot of organizations coming out with statements. We wanted it to be significant and also embedded in our core, in our culture, and our policies and our practices, in our services, in our inclusion and creating a sense of community and belonging so that everyone actually didn't just kind of say, oh, well, here's the statement, let me go see. And then they were, you know, how they were received was maybe not living up to that, but really looking at what does that mean in practice? So it really 
led us to start examining what are our policies? How do we treat our employees? How do we treat our members? How do we embrace our communities statewide again? And really looking at in very concrete terms what our role and position was in this community, these communities across the state. How could we amplify and use those to really, uh, first of all, be clear what we believed and then be even more clear in how we manifested that in our uh, practices and in our culture. How do you define your leadership style and what kind of leader do you think you are? I don't have to be the CEO. That's never a role I even would ever want, but I can absolutely influence from wherever I am with my voice, the direction and the vision of what we're trying to do. I really believe that and take that to heart and always use any opportunity to be a voice for those who aren't at the table. You know, one of the goals is to get everyone at the table, but while we're working on it, we need to have someone at that table who's still advocating for and and speaking for who isn't present. So I, I really see that as my leadership opportunity. It doesn't have to be a title. It just has to be recognizing and seizing the moments that come my way. Cheryl DeBoer started her credit union career as a teenage lobby hostess, too young to work in the teller line. She's now president CEO of Advia Credit Union in Kalamazoo, Michigan, leveraging credit union values in everything her organization does. Here, Cheryl shares her thoughts with me on how she promotes those values and elevates her community through CDFI designation and investing in the communities served by her credit union. One thing that I notice about your nomination, and it seems like you try to leverage the credit union mindset in everything you do at Advia, nothing said that overtly in the nomination. You could just tell. So how would you boil down your strategic mission at Advia? What are you working towards? We talk about that as a team all the time. You know, really, it's about helping people. Foundationally, credit unions are, you know, people helping people. And I feel very passionate about that. So ultimately, we we are a low-income designated credit union and a um, CDFI designation. It's about helping people, helping them achieve their financial advantages, which is our, our mission, helping them be in a better position tomorrow than they are today. And for different people, that's different things, right? So we've always designed our programs and products and everything that we do with the membership in mind. You know, what do they need? And today it's especially more complicated because we have a you know, multi-generational population that we're serving. You know, you still have a population of people who want to come into branches and do physical transactions. And then you have a portion of our population that loves the digital technology. And that's big to us too, right? Keeping pace with that evolution of need of our membership. So, but ultimately it goes back to every decision that we make foundationally is based on what does this do for the members? And, and our team is very, we talk, and I'm very adamant, there's the whole term profitability and we are a not-for-profit. We consider whether our member is contributing or not. Profitability is one thing. Contributing is different. Contributing means like a saver. A saver has their money here. Is that person profitable? Well, we're paying them money. So not necessarily profitable, but but they are contributing. Their money's here. So that means we can 
turn around and lend that money out, which makes the credit union income, right? So, so we use the term contributing versus profitability because everybody is at a different stage in life. You know, you're 18 years right. old and you're probably buying your first new car, right? How do you look at profitability for that person? No, they're going to buy their first car. So I think people that are part of Advia's culture very much so embrace that about what we do to help people. You mentioned that you're a CDFI credit union, which is so important. Basically, 60% of your lending work is directed towards people with low to moderate incomes. Can you kind of give me an overview of what kind of programs or, or what kind of work you do through that role? Absolutely. We talk all the time about being the credit union for average to low income people. That's who we are. I mean, I remember being a single parent and needing my first loan to help pay off some debt that I had uh, when I was married. And I remember a credit union was the first person to help me. And I remember that manager sitting down with me and saying, you better pay this back. And I had every intent to pay that back. So I, I remember that. I remember a credit union person helping me and, and that philosophy and belief is very important to me. So yes, we do small loans. You know, We still do the $500 loan for somebody who needs a new water heater. We have a checking account where there's no fees and there's no courtesy pay fees or things like that that go through it. Many of our staff members who, again, very much so believe in this culture that we have, have become budget counselors. So we will sit down with people to talk about their finances and help them from an honest position, not trying to sell them anything, but just trying to help them better their financial lives. And I think that's so important, credit rebuilding. I think our staff, we talk about successes on internet website and people, that's what they want to do. They want to post to go, this is what I did. I helped somebody improve their credit score from 620 and it's now 740, or I saved them thousands of dollars on a refinance loan. People appreciate that. I have members that come back still time after time and say, thank you for helping me. Thank you. I've had to tell people no. I remember telling a, a couple no on a car loan and they said, we're going to go get this car. And I said, I know you are. And it's, it's you know, I, I hope it all works out. And so then they came back when they were struggling because that car loan really was putting them over the edge. And they said, now we're in trouble. Now what do we do? And we helped them. We said, well, let's look and see what's there. They sold the car. They had some unfortunate balance from that. And then they had some money available on their home. So we were like, okay, how can we make this work for you? And they were very thankful for that, right? We don't sell or give people product services, things that they don't need. Our goal is always, how do we save you money? What do we do to make your, your position better? What savings product can we put you in that helps you earn more interest? Those kind of things. And that very much is our posture. And the people that feel that that's a good good way to operate are just so passionate about it. We have a great team of people who feel they're helping people. That's also reflected in Advia's commitment to its community. Your foundation donated more than $300,000 to the community last year. What are your key priorities? You know, Ron, we just want to help our communities and we, we are able to find many, many ways to do that. And, um, we have grants, we have different programs and the way we do this, we have scholarships. It's about helping if we can help with financial literacy, you know, junior achievement type programs. If we can help somebody that's starting up a business that will help feed people, any type of environment that is going to help a community is something we want to participate in. And that's 
something that, again, our team is very passionate about, especially our branch managers, the people who live in those specific communities, they understand the need. And they periodically, you know, will say, hey, this is where we see a need. Is this somewhere that Advia can help out? And it's definitely something we do. We, we give back. We're a cooperative, right? The reason we exist is to cooperate, to help one another as membership. And we're also a product of helping within our own communities that we are located in. So no matter, people will often say, well, you're in three states, right? And you're not local. We are local. We're local to all the communities where our branches are. And that's, I think that's something that still holds true. No matter how large we have gotten over time, we still are local in our each community that we're in. Mary Ann Pusateri knows the power of partnerships. The CEO of Partnership Financial Credit Union in Morton Grove, Illinois, has built her career on collaborating with her colleagues for the benefit of all. In this interview with Deputy Editor Bill Merrick, she shares her insight on the power of collaboration, her role as a woman in a leadership role, and advice for young credit union leaders. You have an interesting story about how you merged with some other credit unions to form Partnership Financial. Can you tell me about that? Years ago, uh, we had started a group of uh, local CEOs. And we would do a luncheon group. So similar where we would just get together like every other month and sit down and do lunch and when you could go out to lunch. And there were about a dozen of us. And we would just knock things around. And, you know, you talk about how are you handling this payroll issue or how are you handling this type of loan? Like right when home equity loans came out, not everybody knew how to do home equity loans and you needed an attorney. And we would sit with all the CEOs and say, oh, I found this attorney, blah, blah, blah. I'm doing home equity loans like this. So it was a great way to network. And then that just grew probably from five credit unions to a dozen credit unions as time went on. And you just build relationships that way. As time went on, everybody got older. And as time went on, things got harder. Regulations, the cost of things, just being able to hire people, just being able to pay for things. And these three folks were thinking about retiring. We would sit around and try to figure out what to do next. And uh, I presented it as would you consider partnering, you know, and the difference on our partnerships as opposed to mergers is when we did do it, we did it as a partnership. All four presidents sat in a room and figured out how the new credit union was going to look, regardless of which size was the biggest and which size wasn't. We took the best benefits. We combined them, you know, the health benefits, all that to make it one credit union. And we took the best rates. We took the best loan products and we put it all together together. You know, eventually one credit union had to run it, which was the credit union of Niles Township that turned into partnership first. And then the others had to merge because that was the only way to run it then. But the idea was every person kept their job. Now they might have been since moved into a new position as we've grown, but nobody lost their job. Nobody lost their seniority. Nobody lost their benefits. And everybody's fit in. Now people have chosen to leave and we've added folks, but, uh, it was at that time a true partnership and everybody got together and then the president stuck around. The other three CEOs became presidents and they stuck around for about a year. They saw everything's hunky-dory and some of them really left earlier, but they stuck around technically. And uh, as long as they saw that what was supposed to happen did happen, they kind of moved on. You know, we saved a lot on the economies of scale, you know, having one health insurance as opposed to four different health insurance programs, you know, paying for one bond and and paying for one audit. We all were paying for the same thing and it reduced the, you know, the cost 
for the members that allowed us to buy a better app or buy a better website, things like that. So most of that went back to the members. You also started a women's leadership group. Can you tell me about that, um, what you talk about and how long that's been going on? I think the women's leadership is going on about 14 years, if I'm correct. And um, it started from um, few women golfing. And uh, I learned uh, from one of my board members a long time ago that, you know, you need to network and get out. And that's where that CEO luncheon group started. And that was predominantly, you know, I think it was more men than women, but it didn't matter. It was just the local credit unions, depending on where you were in the area and stuff. So we weren't choosing on asset size. It was just, hey, you want to join our group, you're a CEO. At that time, you only met folks at the chapter outings and things like that. And if you went to the league annual meeting. And so I was one of the few women that went golfing. And then I conned a few other women to go golfing. And uh, a couple of my board members would golf with us. So it made it easier for me to get out and golf. And the idea behind the Women's Leadership Group is semi-golf, semi-get-out-network and learn how the value of that is. And um, we disguised it as golf, got people out. Some of the women didn't even want to go because they thought it was golf. And they said, no, you're going to learn how to golf. And then, you know, we taught even golf etiquette. And then we would have a meeting. And the meeting was an education from one of our vendors or CUNA Mutual did an education one time, an attorney did an education talk one time. So each time we have a topic that we cover, and then on top of it, we have um, a golf lesson, and then we have a scramble golf so people aren't intimidated because a lot of people are intimidated by golf if they don't golf. And then since then, we've gotten at least half a dozen women that will now go out golfing with all the other CEOs and vendors and things of the sort. And the idea was to empower women to come out, not be afraid to network. And when you do do that, then you learn. I mean, every time I go out golfing, I learn something new somewhere in the credit union world. Every time I go to a meeting, I learn something new on how to do something more efficiently or a vendor or something. So this not working networking, which is what I call it, is always a learning experience. And, um, there are a lot of women that are intimidated by that and they don't know the men folk and the men folk have been great to me. I mean, everybody always has been accepting and everything. So it's just giving the empowering and giving them an avenue to go and explore things they haven't done before. And when you do something like that, you put yourself out there where you're considered to be able to help or work with other people as well. So you learn so much more and you have more opportunities by doing that. And if you don't get out, and it's not all CEOs too, because as you know, in the industry, you might have more men CEOs than women. So it is executives for the women. So hopefully these women maybe end up in a CEO position as well. We don't get together at that women's outing and say, women don't get this, women don't, you know, that's not what it's about. What it is about is who do you use for your website? And then there's personal relationships that are developed from there. Now, individuals have friendships they meet for lunch, maybe not, don't even talk about credit unions, or they want to be introduced to somebody. So, and another thing is, um, you know, if you want to go to a meeting, so let's say that uh, the league is holding a meeting and they're one of like four people in their credit union. Now they feel comfortable calling up another credit union executive, say, hey, are you going? I'll go if you go, you know, that kind of thing. And I think um, that's the biggest learning item, I think that everybody can feel comfortable going out meetings of the credit unions and feel comfortable. Do you have any advice for young credit union leaders who are just starting out? 
I would say get involved in everything and anything you can. Get out, meet your peers. Learning from your peers is invaluable. Um, I've learned from folks that have been on the job for one year. I've learned from folks who've been on the job for 50 years. I've learned from folks who run a billion-dollar credit union. I've learned from folks who run a $10 million credit union. So, And don't be afraid to ask. My thing would be get out, meet. You'll grow as a person. You'll be tested. You'll, you know, it'll be hard. It won't be easy. But that's where I've learned the most from is my peers and being involved. And geez, I'm on the um, LSC, which is now Invisit Board. I've learned a ton just that. And not only from the meetings, but then from the networking with the other CEOs, some of which I already knew, but some that I didn't. So I would say besides putting your nose to the grindstone and getting your work done and doing as much as you can for the credit union, you've got to make time to be out and you've got to make time to learn from others. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio.